Hello, and welcome to In Common, a podcast and community where we explore the spiritual practice of grief, trusting that it leads to our healing, gives us a new sense of freedom, and empowers us to imagine and embody a better way forward. We believe this dimension of our human experience is something we all have in common, and we don't have to do it alone. If you're new to our show, we release our conversations in two parts. In part one, we take a raw, honest look into our own grief, disappointment, and questions. Part two will be an exploration of the hope we are finding in the true example of Jesus and the freedom we now have to reimagine, then embody a better way. My name is Dana Solomon, and today I'm joined again by Tim Almeida for part two about the value of grief. As always, these conversations are meant to be accessible, but the content will be vulnerable and challenging. All right, let's jump in. What's up? What's up? Welcome back, Tim. It's been like five minutes. Yo, a quick break. Honestly, that first conversation was like more spicy than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. We brought some heat. It was cool. Yeah. I'm down. I think we're just like, we are frustrated and we are sad and it's coming from a good place but there's just a lot there that when we actually start talking about like we're always thinking about it or having like little convos here and there but i think once we start really like breaking it down it's like no like something really has to change Mm -hmm. yeah like we do have to think of a better way forward i think too it's worth saying that we've had these conversations now for like four or five years you know we've been i think we've gone through I mean, when we talk about grief, I feel like we've gone through a lot of the stages and it probably wouldn't be healthy to have these conversations publicly in those stages. So I feel like we're in this place of like accepting that this is how it is and also knowing that it needs to change, but not as emotionally maybe like charged by those things. Like it's still very frustrating. So there is emotion. But I think there is this like different demeanor that we can have in these conversations, knowing that it's time to get to work. Totally. Not like it's time to like bash everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that. Totally. Yeah. And that's why we have part two of these conversations really is we want to give space because like we talked about in part one, that there's sort of a, a misplaced value on grief, I think in spirituality, but also in our culture. And so I think it's really important to me um, as we have these conversations to give enough space for the grief. And I think that's even why it can feel like too much Yes, is because it's so undervalued and so like unspoken, you know? And so it may be uncomfortable to hear all these things spoken aloud that we're grieving. And it may be uncomfortable to sit through a 20 minute podcast about all these things that are frustrating, you know, or an hour like part one was, but (laughs) yeah, like 20 minutes or like three hours, you know, just like casual. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the heart behind it. And I think that's important to say because I think otherwise it can go just however you want to interpret it. And I think it's important to clarify that that is our, my heart behind this podcast is, yeah, we want to learn how to give space to that and also how to practice the discipline of reimagining. Yes. Absolutely. And like what you're saying, it's like we almost have to overcompensate in that arena because it's something that's so lacking Mm -hmm. um, as a society. And I think that does free us up as we enter reimagining to 
do it in a way that's different from the hope that we grew up talking about, you know, like moving into a hope that like we can't really touch or feel that we can just dream of. Yeah, totally. So when we think about part one of this conversation, we talked about the values and like what the American church slash America is building and the values that that's built on. Um, The things that we talked about were money, misuse of money. Uh, We talked about power and influence being centralized or like working towards a majority of power and influence. And then we also were talking about success or measures of success. So the metrics that we use to define what's what's worth something um or what's what's good i guess in the american church or america uh that maybe deserves prestige or a prestigious title Mm -hmm. um so i'd love to stick with what do you think we stick with those for part two i think it's like reimagining those specific things and what what is yet to come tim yeah i mean i think we we got to start by looking at uh, how Jesus interacted with these things. And then we can start dreaming. I just feel like just going down what we talked about previously, like with money, I feel like Jesus spent a lot of time with money. And if he wasn't talking about it, there was always some story or some interaction around money that was very profound and that challenged the systems of that day. And I think the first thing that, that came to mind for me is, the 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 story we have of of people giving their offerings mm. um at the temple and it's all of the religious elite it's all the powerful it's all the wealthy and they're giving a lot of money quantity wise but they're not really giving up anything mm. um and then this woman comes along who's very poor and like puts a little bit down and Jesus ends up saying that she gave more than everybody else and i think it's because she actually gave up something mm something that costs her comfort and security. Like if that's all that she had. And it makes me think of what we were talking about of we're okay with generosity and we're okay with financial giving and Mm -hmm. donating and charitable acts. As long as it doesn't rub up against the system, because once we rub up against the system, we're forced to actually give up a little bit of our comfort and our security. And I think Jesus sees all of these private individual charitable acts and donations to the temple that are a lot in quantity but he's not really impressed by it because they're actually not sacrificing anything Mm, and this woman comes and she's actually sacrificing something and so thinking of that um and i used to just think of it again like in this like individual private lens of like oh she just gave just thinking about that you know yeah and like really the sentiment behind it is like she's actually giving something up you know, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. if you have a lot of money and you give a lot, like I think of like all of these billionaires who like every once in a while will donate like a hundred million dollars to yes. some charitable cause. And it's like, cool. Like that's a lot of money. And like that is yeah. helping. Or but giving like, up their salary for a year. Totally. Or like, like all the like right. statistics that we hear. But it's like, you're actually not giving up something. Like you're actually not changing the system that allows you to create all this mm-hmm. wealth off of the backs of people mm-hmm. working for minimum mm-hmm. wage. You know, so like, it's it's this disconnect between quantity and like what you're actually giving up. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder too, like I, I mean, I was just telling you this story, but, uh, our, our little friend, our six year old friend, uh, Don and Courtney's daughter, Eden, yes. I was just talking to her the other day and she, I really don't, we were just like coloring a picture. Like, I don't know, but 
she said something about like we were coloring a house. So maybe it was something about that, but it was, it was a comment that she made. She was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, that's just a lot of money. That's too much money. Like I don't want that much money. I was like, Oh wow. You don't want that much money. Like, like, why do you think like, what, what do you want? You know, just trying to like, see like, what was she thinking? Cause I always, you know, you always like have a relationship with money as a kid that I feel like it's like, you know, I just, I want enough money to buy all the toys I could ever (laughs) want. Or like, I remember like praying to God, like, God, if you make me a millionaire, (laughs) I'll just like obey you. You Yeah. 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 Just give me this money and I promise I'll like do whatever. But, but she said, she said this thing and she was like, Oh yeah. Like, I, I think I asked her like, well, what do you, like, what money do you want? What do you think about that? Um, just wondering what she would say. And she was like, oh yeah, like, I just want to have enough money for like what I need. I'm good with that. Wow. Like totally like yes. her own thought, like, I just want enough. And, you know, for her right now, that means like tacos and like a totally pastry from the coffee yeah. shop that I work at, you yeah. know, and it's just... I just thought that's such a nice, like, yeah, like that's even something that helps me imagine a different future, you know, like that's such a freeing thought of like, okay, like, do we have enough, you know, and even talking about like justice being that everyone has enough, Mm -hmm. you know, like just an alternative definition that feels like much more approachable, you know, and I'm just, I'm just wondering what it looks like, like yeah. Can we imagine a world where everyone actually has enough, you know, money? I mean, I guess in this instance, we'd be talking about money, but yeah, totally. And it just like, it's really hopeful because she's growing up in a culture where Mm -hmm. a lot of the people around here are constantly asking and not perfectly, but like just asking like, what are the needs and how can we meet them? And that's just what she's grown up seeing. Like that's her reality. And I think that's like, that's super hopeful. I mean, even embracing a practice like that has been really challenging, I think, for our yeah. community. It's been really fruitful, but it's never easy. Totally. You know, it's always like I always I still feel like glimpses of resistance mm-hmm. when we start asking, like, what do people need? Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's one way like presently. Right. So not not like the reimagination, but I think that's one way we've embodied the re the reimagination yes. that we had before we started this community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think another example and one that stuck to me since I started like asking questions about this story is when Jesus flips the tables in the temple and um, yeah, I, I just used to think like, all oh, right, these people were just cheating people off their money. And so Jesus was really mad, but like, looking at the context, it's like they were in the outer courts of the temple. So that's like the place of worship that's relegated to like Gentiles Mm -hmm. who like were considered unclean and also like women and the poor. And so what you have here is not just people trying to make a buck, but it's people who are actually profiting and they created a system, Mm -hmm. an economic system outside of the temple to profit off of people who were already being oppressed And so when you think about those layers to it, and it's the reason why the thing that Jesus says after he flips the tables is this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Wow. And it makes sense because the people who would have been there would have been Gentiles, right? It would have been the people of the nations. And Mm so just all of those layers adds to this idea of like the reason Jesus ended up 
going so far to destroy people's property and destroy people's goods was because they were profiting and they created a system to take advantage of those who were less than and those who were already were excluded by the religious system. And so it's just like these layers of context in history that growing up you never see. But when you think about the way Jesus treats money and what he's trying to teach people, he's like actually embodying it Mm -hmm. so much so that it causes him to be enraged and to destroy shit, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's real. And alongside of all his sermons and everything he talks about, like even when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like I was just reading the other day that that's like a Jewish reference to a passage in Isaiah that talks about like the actual poor. Wow. And so Jesus has this like preference for the poor. Like it's the reason he says, whatever you do for the poor, for the least you're actually doing for me. And so Jesus, Jesus has a message where he's, he's calling out those who view their possessions as their own. Right. And he's calling out the rich and, and calling them to have a lens that prefers the poor. Yeah. And the collective poor. Yes. Like I think maybe it's just necessary to clarify right. the collective yes. poor, you know, totally. it's not like rich young ruler, go give your things to like Matthew, yeah, you know, it's totally. like to the poor, right. To these like group of random people and you can't control who gets it. Absolutely. And you see like Zacchaeus too, right? Like after Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, really like the taxation system of like the Roman empire was incredibly oppressive. And so mm-hmm. when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, he ends up, his response is like, I have to pay back reparations to the people that I've wronged. Mm-hmm. Not like this one person, but like the people, like there were yeah. people outside of his house. And so just the response after meeting Jesus is like some sort of like repairing of the broken system that yes. there is. And yeah. so when you think of that like type of system, you also think of like, so when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, like it's not just that there were 5,000 families huddled here. It's like, no, these people wanted bread because they were living in an economic system of like triple and quadruple taxation. Wow. So yeah. they're like just trying to be fed and Jesus just gives them food. Yeah. Like I, I think it's like, foolish if we just try to keep over spiritualizing things mm-hmm. and like really jesus is just trying to meet people's needs yeah. yeah like the reason there's so many people is because there was a starvation problem because of yeah. taxation wow and so jesus is just meeting their needs and we talked about ananias and sapphira too and like all throughout like the early church like there were systems and practices in place to fight against like the consumption economic mentality of rome yeah and i so, mean having all things in common exactly was defiance right i mean it's like we're gonna take care of each other form. yes yeah yeah and like it's this thing too of like the empire wants us to take care of ourselves and to survive on our own and like we as a church are actually going to meet each other's needs and like mm-hmm. live alternatively to that reality and so yeah like you think of ananias and sapphira they sold their home because the money was supposed to go in the church treasury Mm. to be distributed to people and they took it for themselves, you know, and it obviously shows us like what happens when we're greedy and how like God takes that seriously, like just wanting Mm -hmm. things for yourselves. And in the next chapter in acts, like there's a story of how there was like a daily distribution of food among the church. And like, that's a system in place. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not just like, a few leaders in church being like, oh, I'm going to give 
the widow some food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, totally. it's like yes. there. Collective. Exactly. Yes. And so it's just like, again, like just trying to like, reframe our idea of like generosity is just like an individual individual charitable thing and like trying to help us like remember that generosity is actually wired into the fabric into the system into the responsibilities that we're supposed to carry out Mm -hmm. as people of jesus and one thing that that i was um studying too and this is like before jesus before the early church but it's also the idea of like it's not just our responsibility to be generous because that's just what we're called to do, but we're actually supposed to be generous because it actually betters our community Mm -hmm. and it betters our neighbors when we're working towards the common good. And when we're greedy, we end up destroying one another. And there's a story in Joshua, which is like a very primitive story, right? It's like at a time when, the people of God were like engaged in conflict and in war. And really one of the practices that God gave was like, if there was a victory, you would take the gold and you would take the silver and you would bring it back to the treasury so that it could be distributed among the people, among the poor and among the Levites. And really you have this story in Joshua. There's this character whose name's Achan. And what Achan does is instead of giving the gold to the treasury to be distributed, he takes some for himself. And God actually says that they, the reason they're going to lose the next battle is because of Achan's greed, Mm. because he, he chose not to give that stuff away to be redistributed, but he took it for himself. And it's this idea that our greed doesn't just affect us or hurt us, but it leads to the destruction of our people. Yeah. And like that's wired into like the Jewish narrative. And I think Jesus understood that. And the early church understood that. And it's the reason why the reallocation and redistribution of our resources to help people is ingrained into the first century church's practices. Like yeah. it's our responsibility because nothing we have is ours. Yeah, totally. I'm even thinking about how like, I mean, we talk about the individualistic culture of America, but when we talk about things like that, even in the examples in the Bible, it's like, Anytime someone keeps money for themselves, it's specific people. It's like we extract ourselves from the collective Mm -hmm. thinking that we must now be separate or like we separate ourselves somehow. Somehow we create a degree of distance saying that I deserve this. And, but it seems like everything talking about the allocation, the generosity is about the interconnectedness, like the, the collective overall it it really doesn't matter how well you are doing right if the collective is suffering totally because that that means that you will suffer yes i think that's something that like money especially it like that needs like i think that needs to be imagined as part of our future because right. we keep i mean even right now with the fires we keep separating ourselves from the earth and from each other yeah and and yes, we are all different, but we we are connected. Yes. We are like we all have, you know, we're all unique and we're talking about that all the time right. now, you know. But I think at the end of the day, yes, though, we are all human. We are all connected. We are all sharing this earth. We, you know, we're having very similar experiences as humans right. occupying this earth while right. we are alive. Yeah. And I think it's like once we start to think that 
I, Dana, am having a very completely different experience or can operate by completely different like standards and separate myself from the collective of humanity, like that's when the greed even starts to to multiply even yes. more like internally. Right. It's real. It's just like, uh, like, yeah, especially what you're saying about the fires, like my personal decisions, like to not care about the environment, to not steward, like, it's not just me littering, right? Like it's mm-hmm. contributing to this interconnected destruction of like what God has made. Yeah. And I think that's like the thing about stewardship too is like, I've always heard it as like, just steward the things that you have. Mm-hmm. And like stewardship actually means like everything that I think is mine and everything that is around me is actually shared yes. and it's actually a gift. So it's our responsibility to steward it because if we don't, we're going to end up destroying and and destructing one another. Yeah. Yeah. And it has to be systemic because where we meet each other is in those systems. Like how, how do I like connect with this other person that I don't even know? It's because we're actually a part of the same system. Right. We're, we're either benefiting from or suffering from the same system. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, like we can always go back to the whole like individual collective thing, but I do think that that's important that it's like, that's, that's why we, you know, want to engage in imagination at a systemic level. Right. And that's also the example that Jesus gave too, which is like, obviously the basis for everything that we're reimagining. Yes. So that's money. Yep. And another thing that we talked about, um, in part one was influence or maybe like the centralized power. Why don't you talk about that? Like, how can we return to the way of Jesus for a better way forward? Yeah, totally. I think this is cool, too, because even it just reminded me of like part of what um, I've been learning in just this idea of like imagination is that in order to get to the thing that you can't see or touch, you actually have to be like reignited in like the memories of like what already exists. And that's one thing that Brueggemann says the prophets always do is like they connect like the unknown future to like the memories of like the Exodus Mm. or something like the reason you can dream of something that's impossible is because people have done it in the past, you know? And so I I do think it's cool that we're talking about Jesus because I think in order for us to start dreaming about things that we can't see or touch, like we have to realize that it, it can be done, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's good. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I just think with, with influence, like Jesus gives me the perfect example of like, he was living in a world like first century Palestine where like the center of power and societal influence for the Jewish mind and the Jewish life was in Jerusalem. Like that's where the religious elite were. That's where like the societal elite were like the language and the people groups are like the Sadducees and the Herodians, right? Like those mm-hmm. were the elite people and they all lived and resided in Jerusalem. And so if you're thinking of Jesus trying to start an influential movement that's going to change the world, you think that the first place he would go would be to the halls of power in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Well, he actually goes the opposite way. Yeah. He, he gets baptized not in the temple, not in the halls of power, but he gets baptized in 
the wilderness in, in like the muddy waters of the Jordan, wow. right? By, by a desert man, you know? And yeah. so he, he's going on the fringes and it's setting the stage where if Jesus is thinking about influence, he's actually making the margins the center. He's actually making the fringes the center mm-hmm. of his movement. And he's showing us like the downward mobility, the upside down mobility of what movement actually looks like. And when he even starts and and centers like the the hub of his ministry and his yeah. mission, it's not in Jerusalem either. Mm-hmm. And it's not in anywhere close to that. It's literally in like rural, small fishing villages, like yeah. in the Sea of yeah. Galilee, like miles away from Jerusalem. And his movement starts to actually have steam and have influence, not because he catered to those who, who had power and those who had a, a platform, he even like told people to like be quiet about the things he was doing. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't trying to like get a step ahead, but things moved because he went to those whom the powerful regarded as like worthless and as dirty and as unclean. And in mobilizing and empowering those people, he actually did what no one could ever do if they centered their movement in the spheres of influence in Jerusalem. And alongside of that, like when we were talking about influence, we were talking about like this push to try to Christianize everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just funny that Jesus like never really made things like explicitly (laughs) Christian or religious or Jewish. Like he was all about using everyday things. Like all of his parables are all everyday things. It's like this olive tree or this mustard seed or like Mm -hmm. a worker or like a vineyard. It's all everyday things because he realized and knew that everything was spiritual and i think if we're going to start to have influence or power Mm -hmm. it's going to come from centering the margins and it's going to come from seeing everything is spiritual yeah totally yeah even just like what we were talking about in the first part of how it's taking away the access for people and i think that's that's so important to me when it comes to influences like jesus's example was that even, yeah, even the way he taught, he wasn't teaching from uh, the books that like the Pharisees were teaching from, you know, he wasn't reciting all these things. Like he was relating it so that people could understand it and take hold of it. Like, and then go talk to their friend. Mm -hmm. Like how were things passed down? It was like an oral tradition. So yeah, I'm going to go tell my friend about this mustard seed thing that like this guy, Jesus just told me about. Like that's how this movement kept accumulating and expanding is that anyone can retell a story and anyone can go home and embody that story. Yes. Like have a little faith, you know? And I'm like, wow, that's the bar that Jesus set for whoever heard that. Maybe that's the only time they encountered Jesus. What else were they going to do? Right. Go home and like, what? That We didn't have like the rest of the scriptures at that time. So, you know, it's just interesting. It's like, that's that's what the bar was for for their influence for their sphere of influence it was like have the faith of a mustard seed you know or something like that Mm -hmm. you know and so i just think that seems to be what jesus thought was most effective right too like and i think that's really important to talk about when we're talking about influence i mean the passion of a lot of people is how do we have influence in this world as followers of jesus yeah i mean i think that's important i don't think that influence is something not to be had Mm -hmm. like i think we're meant to have influence in the world but yeah but if it doesn't look like as many people as possible 
actually everyone, everyone can have a place in the movement of Jesus, right? Like that is the influence that I want to emulate that Jesus gave me example of. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, third thing that we talked about success, yeah, prestige, like metrics, right? Yeah, yeah. I see. I think again, like I don't think there's anything too crazy to say here, but it's just again, like when Jesus ended, like he invested in twelve people, mm-hmm. like like that was it. And by the end, he had an orbit of like a hundred twenty people. Yeah, and I think he was he was measuring less of like how many people there are and was more measuring like the process of transformation. Like I think of, of the process of Peter, you know, who started one way and throughout Peter's encounter with Jesus was transformed into like a completely different person with like different values and a different way of viewing life and like not perfect and like not arriving. And I think that's like, we expect people to go from like zero to a hundred really quick to go from like, I'm an atheist to like, I'm following Jesus and I'm leading a Bible study. Right. Totally. (laughs) And I think Jesus was more concerned about the direction people were moving in than than once what step of the journey or what arrival, well, like what even is arrival, you know? And so, yeah. so Jesus wasn't concerned about that, but he was all about pushing people in the healthiest direction. And that's just the direction towards the heart of God. So whatever that looked for, looked like for individual and you see it like, the way Jesus treats different individuals, like for one person, it's like, I'm going to set you free from judgment and I'm just going to tell you to go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. For another person, it's like sell everything you have yeah. and like give it to the poor. Yeah. Like for another person, success it's, is obviously yes, different. Right. Yes. For every single person. Totally. And it's all about the direction, like just gauging where people are at and giving them the next step to like move closer to God. And that mm-hmm. was it. It wasn't like, yeah it's just like people could belong and could have a place. It wasn't like this is the bar. And unless you're here, you can't really move. You know, I hear that all the time. Yeah. I mean, think about even the disciples responding to follow me. Mm -hmm. Like they literally didn't even know who Jesus was like, and yeah, we talk about, I remember that was like one huge moment that I had realizing that Peter didn't say like, you're the son of God until I mean, who knows how much time had passed, but it wasn't like the moment he met Jesus. Right, right. Like he had spent lots of time with him mm-hmm. and seen him do lots of things, say lots of things, yes. like be in his home lots of times. Like, right. and so it's just interesting. That was always like a light bulb moment for me of like, oh, wow. Like, why are we, you know, why are we measuring this? It obviously doesn't seem that important to Jesus. It seems more important that we're with him. Yes. Like wherever we are, mm-hmm. you know, and that seems even in the closest, the closest of the close, right. because I mean, Peter was like the super intimate circle of Jesus, even inside of the 12. And it's like, even the bar for him was just like, come on, come hang out, come and see. Exactly. Just stay with me. Right. Just stick with me. Just hang. And we'll figure it out on the way. And like, yeah. and whatever you're like, you know, revelation is along the way. That's what, that's what we'll go into next. Like that's what we'll do. So I just think there's even just like this low pressure of the success is like, what is God saying to you, you know, and, 
and how are you responding? And that's, that's our success. That's, you know, what defines our, what's worth celebrating, totally. you know? Yeah. Crazy. Well, what else do you have? Anything else you want to say? Yeah. I just think it would be cool to like have a time of just like, I wonder with all of the values that we just talked about and the way Jesus did things of like, just like imagining what could in a way that we can't like really taste or see or feel now, like what could the American church look like if we treated money and influence and success the same way that Jesus did? Yeah. And it'd be cool for us to just like ponder some of those things. Cause the first thing that came to mind for me was like, I just imagine if like, what if every building that now we would say is like a church what if it turned into like community centers? Yeah. Like so that good. worked for the common good of, of each neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have like these huge buildings that are just now are just like reserved and rented out for worship services. Yeah. And it's like, what if we actually gave that away to the community? And like, maybe there's so much space on some of these campuses. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what if part of it was intentionally like a housing shelter and you empowered people in your church who were actually passionate about that? Like what if some of it was like helping out schools or like tutoring center or who knows, but I would love to imagine church buildings um, become open to, to the public and, and work for the common good of, of each neighborhood. That's so good. And, and the movement stops focusing on meeting in these buildings and moves into extended families and homes like the way it was in the first century and in terms of influence i also just imagine churches to stop trying to do things in their in their own name like Mm -hmm. i think of there's a church in new york called middle church led by um, someone named jackie lewis and even recently just with all of this justice reckoning happening like they've just partnered with people in new york who are already doing the work just like organizations that are already there And they're being people of Jesus and being humble and saying Mm -hmm. like, y'all have been doing this long before we've started talking about it. So we're just going to follow you. Yeah. You're moving towards God and you seem a little closer than us actually. So let's, let's go with you. Totally. And I just imagine a world where there's no Christian anything. So good. You know, we're like Christian bookstore, Christian TV, Christian, like that's not a thing. Yes. And it's just, you're, you're either moving towards God or moving away from God. And mm-hmm. we're all involved in the same lanes of society together yeah. and like influencing each other and pointing each other towards heaven mm-hmm. and calling out where God is moving. Like it doesn't have to be labeled Christian for it to be a God thing. Totally. So just imagine the abolishing of Christian this and that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think would be awesome. That's so good. I think a lot about like, I think decentralization is kind of like my, I don't know. It's just like hitting a nerve with me right now. And I feel like I've heard this story of, um, a business owner who was, you know, in LA, like making bread or something. And she was, you know, making enough for her family. It was great, like providing for her. And then someone came, approached her wanting to expand. Like you should franchise, you should have a bigger, like you should have a brick and mortar. And, she was like, okay, like, yeah, let's see. And um, 
she walked into the production facility and was like, shut it down. You know, she just didn't feel good about it. It was like, this is not what I want. Like I make this by hand, you know, just seeing all the machinery, all like the, the production line, like mass production, you know, like that's the sort of thing. And I just think about not really, I mean, in the church too, obviously, like in whatever ways this plays out, but I just think about how when we came up here, like the way that we were imagining to give away, like that's something we just named, right? Like we want to flip the percentages. Like that was our reimagining. But what that led us to do was innovate and start a business, you know, and And I think, I just think about that when I think about like corporate structures, mass production, mass consumption, it's like our earth can't really survive it anyways and people aren't empowered. So I just imagine like, what would it look like for, you know, corporations to decentralize and, and for there to be like. Hey, that girl in LA that like was making enough for her family, there could probably be like one for every five blocks in LA. And how many people is that over the, you know, like expansion of all of LA? Right. You know, I just wonder, you know, and, and yeah, like, I don't know what those, I mean, what could those buildings turn into? Like the old Navy, like we don't need old Navy. You know what I mean? It's just like, (laughs) sell it. It's fine. Like we have enough clothes in the world for like four generations. Right. We don't need to, right. <laughs> like we don't need any more clothes, exactly. like empowering people to actually, you know, be able to start not, I mean, you don't have to start a business, but it's like just moving back to like a decentralized way of economy. Mm-hmm. I I love it. And along the lines too, of like influence and with Jesus, like centering the margins, I think of like, what if the church was like the biggest voice? Like what if people of Jesus were the biggest voice in like giving land back to indigenous communities, you know, or like fighting for LGBT Mm -hmm. rights, Mm -hmm. you know, or like making sure and working for systems that like give black women a higher life expectancy, you know? And it's like, I just feel like Jesus, those are the people that Jesus would have, like if we look at, who he was hanging out with and empowering in the first century. Like I just think of that today. It's like so good. our, our native brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. like our LGBT, our black women, it's like been overlooked by the system for far too long. And I think as people of Jesus, we have to make those margins and those fringes, the center of where we direct our preferences yeah. and our resources and our compassion. Yeah. Totally. And uh, of course, alongside economics, I think a lot can be said, but I think at the root, we just have to stop thinking things are ours Totally. and start realizing that everything is a gift. And I just imagine the church being the main force in, in economic justice mm-hmm. and in fighting for that and in creating changes that are challenging and that actually call us to give up something but that work for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And cause I mean, I was reading it the other day, like we have an economy right now where like humans work to meet the needs of the economy. And like, we need an economy that, that works to meet the needs of humanity. And totally. I think if, if the church put money in, in its right place, it would start internally with the way we treat money organizationally and institutionally and it would move to how we challenge our neighbors and our society to treat money. Mm. 
Yes. So good. So good. The best is yet to come. That's it. We're reclaiming that. Yes. That's We're so true. That. Yeah, we will. We'll bring it back. Now, I don't know if we will, but <laughs> but it is true. It is. It is true. It is. No matter how kitschy it is. All right. Well, that's part two. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Thanks so for much. Being here, talking with me. It was fun. Yo, I'm about it. <laughs>